Welcome to Robriety, the podcast about sobriety, mental health, and wellness for men, women, and the men and women who love it. Here are your hosts, Scott Graham and Derek Bowen. Scott. Derek. How you doing, man? You know, I'm never going to get used to that opening where we just scream the, each other's names. The, the cold open. I yeah, like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. I mean, it makes sure no one ever forgets our names. That's what, that's what we're going for here. Or that we don't forget each other's is also a good <laughs> thing to, to check in on. It is. Uh, hey, welcome to episode four of Brobriety, uh, sobriety, mental health and wellness for men and women and the men and women who love them. Uh, we are joined today by a very special guest, uh, Alex Kaplan. Uh, Alex is a native of Philadelphia and a new resident of L.A., uh, the city of angels. He's the co-founder and executive director of, of, of substance, an innovative nonprofit working to overcome the shame, blame and stigma surrounding addiction through premium entertaining short films, turning immersive cinema into an approachable tool for behavioral change. Uh, Alex, uh, it's a, a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, the, the times we have talked in the past, you've been a, a really engaging and, and thoughtful guy and thought you would be a, a wonderful addition to our guest roster. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Derek. This is amazing to be here. It's great to meet you, Scott. Great to meet you too. Um, so we'll start off with our standard intro question. I would like to know, who are you? Who is Alex Kaplan? Yeah, no, I love that question. You know, when I first like, so when I first thought of that question, I was just like, oh, oh shit. What kind of question is that? Who asked a question like that? And how do I not go on a diatribe? And then I was just thinking about like, I don't know, like, what am I, right? Like, uh, I am a husband. I'm a son. I'm a brother, right? Like, those are things that I am. I'm, I'm a friend. I'm a partner. But like a partner in to everyone. I like to think of myself as always there. I'm a supporter, a teammate. I like to think of myself as... Um, I'm a listener. I'm a questioner. Um, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an innovator. Uh, I'm a giver. Um, what else? Uh, I'm a, I'm ever evolving, right? Uh, I'm loving, I'm caring, happy and grateful. Um, proud, uh, perfectly. Thank you. Um, I was gonna perfectly imperfect, you know, like we all are. Yeah, I'm human. Uh, but in the end, I'm just some guy, <laughs> you know. I lo- love the humility there. Uh, I like that you identify yourself as a giver, especially on this uh, Giving Tuesday, which is when we're recording this. Um, hey. Following the, you know, the the consumer crush of uh, Thanksgiving and Black Friday, uh, and then Cyber Monday, and uh, now we like to follow it up with uh, a day where we focus on charities. And in a way, you're a guy who's uh, built um, a, a business and a, a successful identity on on giving back to the community, uh, especially given your your own struggles with addiction. Um, do you, are you are you willing to talk about that? Yeah, man. Of course. I'm here to talk about anything. I am. What I didn't say is I'm open and vulnerable. Like I have no shame, uh, which uh, I think is part of getting sober, which is part of my journey of getting sober. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's an important place to get to for for people, I think, Um, because I know uh, shame is, is, I know a lot of sober people. There's a lot of sober people in the the communities I travel in and, and it is something that a lot of people do still wrestle with. Um, so how, yeah. what, what is your journey? Let's start at the beginning. What, what has your journey been like? Um, maybe particularly around your, your relationship with substances. Yeah. Um, so Dude, I mean, it's so crazy because now here I am at when I was talking to my wife about talking to you guys tonight, I was just like, how do I not go on my 25 minute diatribe? That's my like rehearsed story of because everything has to do well, one thing begets the next. I now uh, am running and starting a nonprofit that's focused on connection and overcoming shame and specifically with addiction. And that all starts when I'm now 35. It starts when I was, you know, 
10 fucking around. Right. Um, but when I was in high school, I, I found pot when I was about like 13 or 14 because I had trouble sleeping and I smoked some pot and it's not that I got excited about getting high. It knocked me out, which was special, which was nice. So, um, I have been using substances, whether I've been abusing substances ever since it all started, which is, which is really interesting to think about. Um, and then, uh, I was, <laughs> I, I was always a pothead in high school. I never really drank or anything, but then I got to college and I just, uh, I just went for it. I went to school. I studied acting. I went to the university of Miami, Florida to get a degree, a bachelor of fine arts in acting, which my attorney father liked to say, uh, I went on vacation to get a degree <laughs> in make believe. And I fucking treated it like, <laughs> like seriously, I partied my ass off. It was a blast. Um, spring break, man. Life was spring. Break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spring break for us in Miami was going home and taking a nap. <laughs> like, we were in the my office. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right. My first yeah. year, we were actually uh, rated uh, Playboy Magazine's number one party school in America. Congrats. Thanks, man. Yeah. Way to go. And you made you made sure that uh that, that was true to form. Like you you honored that ranking. Yeah, dude. But like, but that's not when it all started. So I um I was raised luckily very wealthy. I'm I'm very privileged. Uh, my father did really well, and I mean really well, like stupidly well. We had three homes across the country. I I had an obnoxious convertible as a student at the university of Miami. I mean like ridiculous. And, um, my father got sick and right after I graduated college, I was 23 when my father passed away and, and I gave the eulogy and the next day at Shiva, we're Jewish. Um, a family friend takes us into my parents' room and lets us know we're tens of millions of dollars in debt. So in 24 hours, I lost, I buried my father and I found out that I lost my entire safety net of everything. So it's a very privileged trauma to have, but I mean, I lost, we lost everything and that was just earth shattering. Yeah. That Um, doesn't make it any less traumatic, right? Like that's, that's my trauma, right? We all have whatever we've gone through and it's, it's relative and, and mine hit me like, like a ton of bricks. And I, just, I didn't want to feel anything at all. So I, I graduated college. I was in my, I was in New York bartending and not acting. And, um, and I turned to booze immediately, like lots of booze and it made it not feel as bad and as scary. I just numbed. And then I played around heavily, but played around with cocaine in college, like for fun, but then I found it again when I was in New York and while I was mourning and it just like, I don't know when it changed. I was out with friends, you know, and we go out and we go out and we go out and we drink and yeah, like morning, but we were going out and I was socializing and we do some blow and then we do some more and some more and some more. And then I started to just do it on my own, do it on my own, do it on my own or go out and like get more and not tell people that I had all this much more. And I had the bag that I'd share and the three bags that I wasn't sharing. And we'd be out drinking and I'd say I had to go to the bathroom and sneak over to the bar and order three shots down those real fast to go back to the table and hide that I was drinking more at the bar. And, you know, it just, it just happened like that. But then I was, I was also bartending and when you're bartending, it's just kind of the culture, like you're just drinking. I got to a point where I was doing a bottle of Hendrix a night behind the bar. And the only way I could stay up was by ordering some Coke and it was New York. So I had a great connect. The guy drove a cab and he'd just come over drop it off. And I just like, I just keep rallying, um, over. So I did that for about three years for about three to four years where I was just numb. And I got to a point where I, I wasn't going to work and I, my lowest, my bottom was, uh, I was doing two eight balls a day for five days straight locked in my apartment alone, um, until I'd crash, wake up and do it again. 
And I was hiding knives in the couch and in the closets because then I thought the ninjas were going to break in. Like, I mean, it was fucked up. It was like that. And, and I finally got to a point where I realized like, uh, I was over the morning, but I now had this habit that I couldn't break. And I got really lucky. Um, my manager at the bar, who was a friend of mine, had to let me go. And I was like, it's okay. I totally understand. And I called my now wife, who was my then ex-girlfriend. And she met me on a park bench on Central Park West. And she was like, Alex, get the fuck out of here. Like, this is, this is a great chance. Go home to Philly from New York for the summer and see if we can get it together. And I went home and I sought help for myself. Uh, I needed to... I wanted to get better. I knew something was wrong and, and I didn't know what to do. I'd never been in situations. So, uh, I tried a couple of things. Uh, I went to a one-on-one addiction therapist at the university of Pennsylvania and we met a couple of times and, you know, I mean, my, I, I was doing like booze always led to cocaine because it was that vicious cycle. And, and, you know, as I do a little bit better, um, I'd be like, Hey, I had a beer last night. I didn't go and get a ton of blow and go off the rails. She's like, well, what did you do wrong? And I was like, this is not going to work for me. This, this negative reinforcement is just not going to, it's, it's not taken with me. So, um, I talked, told my mother that it wasn't really working. And she luckily, my father had gone to rehab for Vicodin because back problems back in the day when it was, you know, the thing, um, and he, he was, he, when he came home, he found out about this, this group, that's this private group. That's a men's group in the suburbs of Philly run by a doctor who used to be the head physician at Karen, uh, the rehab. And he, uh, he was more progressive in his thinking. Um, and they really didn't want to move along with him. So he went off and started his own thing. I went and I did a consult with the doc, with Jim, and with it was a three-hour consult. We talked about, you know, how in that first consult, we talked about how right now, when you're really deep in it, your quilt, let's say your patch quilt of life is made up of one patch, and that is addiction, right? That's substances. And our work that we're going to do together is to add patches of your life to that quilt because that patch of addiction is never going to go away, but it can get smaller relatively, right? We're going to add family. We're going to have relationships. We're going to add career. We're going to add hobbies. We're going to add like kids and, and everything. And, and so I started going to this group that was more about like improving the quality of life. It was more about building something beyond addiction. It was more about like learning to pick yourself up. And, and uh, I spent two years there getting off cocaine while still bartending at a place downtown Philly. And I'd, I'd leave the group every Tuesday night and I'd go pick up some more blow. And I, I just, but I keep coming back and I keep coming back. And it took two years before I got off the blow. And I started to realize I was drinking like I used to use cocaine. And because I had spent two years getting off that, I knew what to do. I knew the first step for me was just to get honest with people, get it out there in the open, like admit that something's fucked up. And I did that. And, uh, and then it took about two years to really get off the booze. And today, here I am, uh, three years sober, just uh, October 28th was three years for me. And thanks, man. And it's great. But it's this, it's a journey that just never ends. It's, it was a journey of I'm lucky that I'm here. It was a lot of falling and a lot of picking myself up. But in the, in my journey of getting sober, I learned how to fail and move forward. Like in my group, we talk about it's, it's football. It's a game of inches. It's like, you're going to fall. Addiction is a disease or a disorder that's characterized by relapse. Like you're going to fall and that's okay. It's about how you pick yourself up and everything I learned in that room, everything I learned from getting sober, I've applied to my life, applied to everything else, relationships, business, career. And, and now 
if I'm addicted to anything, it's leveling up, it's self-improvement, it's growing. And because of the group I went to and because of the treatment I went through, uh, I am, I'm thrillingly like going after life, which is the greatest gift I could ever ask for. I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs> you answered Sorry. it you, whatever it yeah, was yeah, you yeah. answered it yeah, whatever the question was we're we're good that was great <laughs> thanks um, guys Hi. so so you mentioned your dad uh and he passed away when you were fairly young and you also mentioned that he uh became addicted to vicodin um how, how do you think your relationship with your dad sort of shaped your own journey into addiction did it have an effect what was your sort of relationship with masculinity through how you saw your dad um after he passed and and learning that you had all this debt um that seems like if he was like a role model that seems like that could be a big hit to your impression of of uh, masculinity and and being the father figure and being in charge damn seriously that's one hell of a question i've never really thought about it uh, god i love this podcast guys what you guys are doing is so cool it's so brilliant um it's asking questions that we really don't think about and I, I just really appreciate you guys asking these questions. And I feel so grateful to get these questions directly. So, um, yeah, it's really interesting. So my dad was was a mogul of business. He was a, an attorney. He was an entrepreneur. He, he was an inventor. He did some crazy shit. And he made a lot of money. And I just never wanted to do that. So I never wanted to compare myself to him because if I did, I'd always be in shadow. So I went and I did something completely different. Right. I went into arts. <laughs> right. Um, but it's often the most anti-success thing that, that you can do. Right. Precisely. <laughs> let alone a nonprofit in the arts, which is now what I'm doing. Psychopath. Um, but, uh, you know, I was always a very sensitive kid, male, like boy and then young man. And I, I've always been okay with that. I always saw that as a strength. Um, I've always been a very vulnerable person and my dad was not a vulnerable person. So, um, uh, it was, it was interesting as, as we got, as I got older, I'd start to ask him harder questions, just like, you know, um, I, I there was a year where, um, how do you buy a guy, a man who buys himself everything, a gift? It, it's, it's impossible. It's really annoying. Right. So like, uh, I'm at college freshman year and I send him for father's day or his birthday. I send him a letter. That's just like for, for the gift this year, I'm going to get something that you can't get yourself. And that is a, a like personal relationship with your firstborn son. When I come home from break, I want to sit down and I want to have the conversation we've never had. I want to ask you about your hopes and your dreams and your deepest fears. And I want to get to know one another. And, and I come home and we never have the conversation and he knows I need a car. And so uh, he tells me to go check out this car on a lot. It's a white BMW. I go and it's a Z4 Roadster. And I'm just like, oh, no, this is the wrong car. Like, I'm not going to get this car. This is ridiculous. It's a James Bond car. And I go home like, no, Dad, that's the wrong car. He's like, well, did you like it? And I'm like, yeah, I like it, but it's fucking ridiculous. Like, no, nobody should ever have that car. And uh, the next day, he calls me over to his office, and he's like, so did you like that car? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, good, because I just bought it for you. I'm like, oh, my God, it's fucking incredible. And he's like, and then he turns to his desk and he opens up his computer and he's like, so in this letter where, that you wrote to me where you said you never need me to buy you anything again, did you, did you mean that? And he was just being a smart ass, right? And he was fucking around. But I was like, all right, okay, fucker. Like, if that's how you want to play it, I guess we're not going to have that relationship. So he was... It was old school, you know, I mean, like it was a generation where you didn't talk about feelings and like here we are today on a podcast where we do and and it's tricky, but he was also just larger than life. You know, he was he was not just crazy, like impressive, like to me as my dad, he was he was impressive to everyone in our world. Like he was that guy who always helped everybody with money or anything they needed. And he just created a world around him. It was like when he died, I have friends who said, like, it's like a king has just died and an era has just ended. And and so, like, after that, after seeing, like, the house of cards fall, 
and see behind the curtain after we find out we're in debt and everything else is fucked up and he was frail and he died at 63. Like my mom was pissed. My mom was so pissed. And, and I honestly, like, it took me a little bit of time, but it was, you know, that moment in your life when you realize your parents are just other people. Oh man. I, I talk about this with my partner all the time about you when, when you, that glass breaks and you realize that, you know, your, your parents or your extended family, that these people you've looked up to your entire lives, they're just as fucked up, if not more so than you are. Yeah, And it's nobody. like, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In it's a way, wild. it's comforting. Like no, a little no, bit, yeah. No, nobody has it figured out. Like you, you thought as a kid that your parents were like infallible and they knew what they were doing, and and now you hit a point where you're like, okay, my parents were fucked up. I'm fucked up too. Like uh, maybe my kids will, you know, not believe I'm fucked up for a couple decades. Maybe if I can get that out of them, I'm happy. No, I don't. But, I don't uh, have much hope for that. It's like, <laughs> right. But it is. No. It is reassuring, like to to know that that nobody really ever has it figured out. The thing. The thing like, for yeah. me is, I kind of want my kid to know that I'm not perfect and that I make mistakes. And like she'll she'll see me cry. She'll see me sad. She'll and I don't try to hide it from her. You know, it's it's. I, I imagine when she's older, there's going to be things that I've done in my life that she's going to think I'm an idiot. Uh, that's pretty much guaranteed. But I want her to not be surprised that I'm not this invincible figure, that I'm a flawed person, just like just like everybody, right? Right. And that's like, uh, I think that's a point of the work you guys are doing with this and the, the work that we're doing with the substance is all about... And the work that we do in getting sober, uh, I think that it, as soon as we understand that vulnerability is a strength, that vulnerability is is what allows us to be courageous and allows us to overcome like our biggest fears and help us connect with others because we're all putting on these facades. We're all putting on these shows of bravado that aren't serving anybody. Um and here we are just like, it, it, like the more we just perpetuate that with our kids, like why, why is that helping? So of substance, what I realized just the other day, we're constantly like diving into like, really, what is it we're doing? And I realized that what we're doing is we're working to make every room a safe space by inciting the and encouraging the practice of vulnerability in everyday life so that everybody can develop this skill of courage, right? Because that's, that's everything. And that's, that's with your family. That's with your parents. It's with your kids. It's with your friends. That's, that's with everyone. I, I think that that is what will lead to a better world in the end. I love that. You got to get uh, normalized vulnerability on a t-shirt and uh, you know, I will 100% purchase that. And in a way that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do with this podcast too. Um, you you kind of alluded to this. I'm going off script here, but um, you talk a lot about vulnerability and, and you talk a lot about how you kind of credit it for for your sobriety. But how how important do you think vulnerability was when it came to to you getting sober, like being able to to take those steps and, and admit that you were fucked up and, and flawed and, and that you had these struggles? How big do I think vulnerability was? Um it was the key to everything, right? Because vulnerability is the key to connection. And uh, I'm positive that, you know, we always talk about, we get sober for ourselves, you know, and like, we, we, we need to give ourselves credit for getting sober. Like it is work that we do for ourselves and nobody else does that work for us. But I do not believe that anything happens in a vacuum. And I know that I would not be sober today if it weren't for the support of others. And I would not have the support of others and I would not be as strong today as, as I am if I weren't vulnerable and open with others about my weaknesses, right? If I didn't admit that there was a problem, if I didn't admit that this is a challenging situation for me, then nobody would know. Nobody, how could we grow? How could we improve? Vulnerability is everything. The men's group I go to is really cool. It's, 
it's it's interesting. It's a private group um, that is made up of uh, Fortune 500 CEOs to major executives to professional athletes to people who are roofers, like uh, to a guy, a kid who was unemployed back when I started. And, and it's a tremendous place where all of these different men come and are welcome to laugh and cry together like who are at different levels because we don't, we don't, we leave who we are at the door and we come in and we talk about our relationships. We talk about our kids. We talk about our parents. We talk about our wives and we talk about career and work and peers. And we talk about our fears and, and it's in seeing and recognizing in others that humanity, those, those challenges that allows us to relate, that gives us something to identify with, that reminds us that we're not alone. And once you know that you're not alone, you realize that there is hope. And so honestly, and, and all of that, all of it, all of it, all of it stems from vulnerability. If we did not admit like our fears and our hopes and our dreams and, and all of those things, then none of this would be possible. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I, uh, I really connect with that, uh, not on, I'm not part of any men's group or anything like that. I, I don't even know if anything like that exists here in this city, but um, I have had a lot of people reach out to me over social media with having these very same conversations because through this podcast and through being sort of open and honest about it uh, online, they feel comfortable coming to me and and sharing that sort of stuff with me, which it's just a great starting point for for men in general. But uh, I want to I want to just uh, quickly touch on your filmmaking background. Like I, I felt a lot of pressure here to light myself really well, knowing that I was going to be on here with you today. <laughs> so um, uh, your films are incredible. Um, the storytelling is them? oh yeah, uh, Thanks, the, the storytelling is phenomenal. Um, they're beautifully shot, beautifully edited. The sound design is incredible. Uh, I. I dabble a little bit in filmmaking and photography myself. I was going to say that's, that's right. Scott's wheelhouse. I was blown. I was blown away. I was blown away. So what, what is your background in filmmaking um, prior to doing of substance? Okay. Sorry. Um, No, but it felt like that. Um, Actually, (laughs) interestingly, I, um, I don't know if you watched hold up hold up was though. It's a comedy in the alley where uh, a guy holds up a woman and then, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, That was the very first film I ever made. Um, Really? Yeah. So uh, I, I was an actor. I always, I always wanted to be a producer and director, but, um, but I thought that the way in was the Clint Eastwood route of actor turned director producer, which is the, dumbest idea that is the hardest way to do it but what do i know right and so i got really lucky Uh, i left new york to go get sober i move home to philly and i'm just like you know lost and i find out that my uh best friend from college's cousin who i was kind of friendly with uh, had just moved to philly and started a production company he also happened to be 14 years sober so i reached out to zach and i said hey do you mind meeting me for for lunch we met and i'm just like I got to get my shit together. I got to get sober. Do you mind helping? He's like, yeah. I'm like also I hear you got a production company. Do you mind if I just come to set and just watch or anything? And he was, he was really cool about it. He invited me to come and I start interning for this brand new tiny, like three person company. And, um, over six years together, we turned that three person operation into a nearly 20 person strong, uh, cornerstone of, uh, production in the Philadelphia area. Um, and I left six years later as the managing executive producer, uh, which is crazy. I'd never built a company. I'd never managed people before, and we figured it out together and we learned together. So I, I'm not technical. I'm not a DP. I'm not a sound guy. I'm not an editor. I can like press buttons and I can do a little bit. I can edit a little bit, but like, it's just not what I do. I I just, I'm the conductor, I'm the producer, right? I just make shit happen. 
Um, and the thing is we, we did really good work and they do really good work at my, at my old company, but it was uh, branded content. You know, it's just like you get hired to like interview some people and make some short little documentaries. It's a little thing. And it's, it's cool. Sometimes you work for nonprofits or companies that are doing good stuff and you're excited to talk about innovative people, but you know, no matter what production is a bitch. Like, unless you're making a lot of money or you truly believe in what you're doing and the work you're putting out there, it's crazy. It's, I I honestly, like I was going nuts. And so it was just like, what am I doing? Luckily in 2017, I, I did a job with another person outside the company. He needed to give me a hard drive and he's like, Hey, meet me at this bar so I can give you this hard drive. Uh, I want you to meet the guy I'm going to go to a movie with afterward. He's an actor. You guys will hit it off. Go into this bar. Nobody's in there except for this, like, one other dude. He's older, white beard, bald head. I'm just like, that scary guy is definitely not the guy. And so, like, two guys are sitting in the bar not talking. Cole comes in. He's just like, Brian. I'm like, oh, shit, that's the guy. And, like, turn around. We start talking. And I'm just like, he starts talking. He's really well-spoken and like, he's very charismatic. I'm like, you can tell in an instant if a, if a guy's just like going to be good on camera or not. Right. And I'm like, we're shooting a thing the day after tomorrow. I think you'd be great for it. We're about to use our sound guy for it. I don't want to do that. Do you want to, you want to do the thing later on? He's just like, honestly, I thought you were just some fucking producer. Like everybody's a fucking producer. And they say, yeah, we'll use you in a, th- in a right. thing someday. Um, but they leave. Half an hour later, I, I call him. I'm just like, I've already talked to the director. We want you for the thing, blah, blah, blah. Brian shows up on set two days later. We start talking while he's getting makeup. He's like, I really want to make some stuff that I like. I'm like, I want to make some stuff I like too. So we just, we come together to, to make this one short film. And it's on set of making Hold Up that was originally called Oh Shit that we find out we're both addicts. And so we start, um, we talk about that and we're actually falling off the wagon together and we go to we go to bars together and we're at this bar one day and we're we're laughing at the 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 authentic humor of the two of us falling off the wagon together and we're just like you know it's sad and we don't have our shit together but there's there's something funny about this situation and we're just like oh you know that'd be a funny short that'd be interesting Right. And Brian's like, we should do that. I'm like, no, absolutely not. There is no reason to make short films. Short films do not have an ROI. They don't have a market. Absolutely fucking not. We're not doing it. But we keep talking about the idea. Then we come up with a couple other things. Brian keeps pushing. And like eventually we get to a point of, okay, well, what if there's a YouTube channel? Right. What what if there's like a, a YouTube channel and there's rules, right? The pieces, all short films have to be as entertaining and as high quality as they are authentic, challenging, and insightful in some perspective of addiction. Now I'm like, okay, now you're talking about something. Now this is kind of cool. There's something here. So honestly, still at this point, we have not finished the very first film. Um, And we're coming up with this idea. I go out to dinner with an agent friend of mine. We're on a double date with a fifth wheel who's a friend of ours. And I'm just like, hey, dude. I don't have any money. We're thinking of making some short films. We're just like, uh, but I know you have talent who probably needs some footage. He's like, yeah, okay, this sounds like a thing. And the fifth wheel, Ashley, she's like, Alex, this sounds like a nonprofit. I'm like, what's a nonprofit? <laughs> I have no fucking idea. So, so I start to go into it and I dig in and I start to see like, as I start to think about how like, how this is a very mission-driven passion based projects, putting these films together. Like there is a lot of opportunity here to bring people together to make something that we believe in. I got to be honest, man, I'd been making um, documentary style things and some commercial style things, but only from a producer standpoint and in a regional area. I mean, like in Philly. Um, So like not working like too high end, but like we just tried our hand at it. And so that very first short film we put together, I worked at a production company. So cool. So I know a bunch of people. I put together a crew of 20 people. We have a cast of two. We, we take the gear from the office. We have an Aria Mira. We have major, major, major gear and people. And we put on this whole production. It's two nights shooting in an alley. It's a goddamn nightmare. And we do it. And it's great. Guess what we learned? 
we never have to fucking do that again. (laughs) We don't need all that stuff. So we start to realize like, hey, we got to make a bunch of short films because we're not going to go to anybody and say, hey, give us money. We want to make some short films about addiction. If I say that to you without you seeing what I'm talking about, you're going to think after school special. You're going to think like PSA. You're going to think the shit that you've seen in the past. And that's not what this is. This is quality filmmaking that is engaging in storytelling and that you like. And so we're like, fuck, we need a proof of concept. So in nine months, we made nine films because they they weren't even supposed to be good. I swear to God, man. We were just like, we just need to show something of what this could be. Give something, give people an idea of like, okay, I see where it could go. And then we just made these pieces. We shot uh, six of them. We shot two a day. No joke. Six of those things, we shot two a day. And, and I go to my DP and I'd just be like, Matt, you get one light. You get one light. Uh, first date is our most popular film that we have. It's a, it's a first date between it's actually me and my wife. It's in my apartment. It's just the two of us. We had a sound guy. We had a DP. Brian was directing. We had uh, DIT, the guy taken in the footage and one other person. And, and it's a 12 minute film. We shot, uh, that and another film the same day. And I was like, Matt, you get one light. That's it. Just make it happen. Give people a challenge. Give people like trust the people around you and bring good people around you who are passionate. We'll just make some good shit. It's yeah. not a big deal. <laughs> yeah. No, they look, they look, uh, man, they look outstanding. They look, Thanks, um, man. you know, like studio quality. It's, it's, it's very impressive, very impressive what you're doing, especially given that it's a nonprofit. Like it's, uh, yeah, I, I was pretty blown away to be honest. Thanks, well, dude. They, they're, they're not uh, they're not like pandering at all, which is what I like. Like you definitely avoided yeah. that like after school special, like um, kind, kind of preachy shit um, that I think falls a little. They just feel very authentic. I think when when you watch them is is the main Thank thing. You. And, and they definitely. Uh, yeah, they they resonate with people. I think they they can resonate with people with addiction. And um, I'd love to know, like, what's. What's the mission? What's the plan for, for of substance? Where do you take it from here? Sure. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. So the, our mission at of substance is to combat isolation and foster vulnerability and create community by connecting people through the power of story. Um, notice, uh, addiction isn't in there. Um, we, we make films about addiction to help to overcome the blame, shame, and stigma surrounding it. Um, using premium immersive entertainment as an approachable tool for this behavioral change. Now, um, the thing about our films is that they don't focus on addiction, right? Okay, so we're built on the notion that addiction is a disease of loneliness and isolation and the belief that if you can improve someone's sense of belonging, you can improve their mindset, right? So Really, we're not in the business of creating film. We're in the business of creating connection and opportunities for people to connect. So, so that's what our films do, right? They, the circumstance of our films happens to be addiction. But really, our films and our stories focus on our characters' emotional journeys and their human experience of loneliness and isolation and the power of connection and vulnerability to find our way out. And that is universally relatable, right? That's the thing is it's just not, these aren't just for addicts. These these are magical tools that allow my wife who does not struggle with addiction to understand and relate to my feeling of loneliness and isolation and shame because everybody struggles with something they feel shame around. And so these tools are multifaceted. Right. These are tools that will go into enhancing professional therapy one on one, go into curriculums for treatment centers, for groups. These will go into elementary schools. They'll go into universities, fraternities and sororities as just empathy and compassion training right around addiction and substance use. These will go into hospitals, both to use with families and patients, but also for staff, for doctors and nurses to use to understand and develop empathy and compassion toward their toward their patients and toward one another. These will go, this is honestly, we see this as the next evolution 
for entertainment. I mean, it's impact forward, intentional entertainment to be used as a tool. Like, you know, when you watch a movie or or a TV show, you just love and you get lost in and you just, it's amazing. We film has this magical ability to disarm our intellect and allow us to connect and empathize with strangers in their worlds in a way that is just beyond. And we think that it's fun. What we use it for now, it's entertaining, but, and, and it's wonderful that more films are focused on having a social message about making change. But I don't know that it is structured in a way that makes it as efficient and effective as this powerful tool could be. And we think that short films are these bullets that just have an opportunity to just keep hitting and keep piercing, right? And so what's magical about what we're doing is we're a nonprofit, right? What's fun is we just bring people together to watch films and to create films in everything we do. We give people opportunities to connect, connect with the character in the piece, connect with your fellow audience member after being triggered, uh, having your vulnerability triggered by our pieces, and then tell us your story, inspire our next film. And then we take it to our group and we bring more filmmakers together who are happy to volunteer um, to bring more stories to life. At the beginning of each film that we put together on set, we have everybody circle up and we go around and we talk about who we are and why we're there. I'll start just like, hi, I'm Alex. Uh, I wrote this piece. It's about, you know, how, how I was, when I was at my worst, I'm sober now. And I really hope that it helps others connect. And then we'll go around the circle and everybody there will talk about why they're here. My mother has a problem with booze and I don't know how to talk to her. Uh, I actually don't have anybody in my life. I know who is connected to addiction and I just want to be here to support and be a part of something bigger. Film sets can be very heated places, right? Like they're, we all know whether we're on them or not. It's just a thing in the movies, right? But what we do is we, in everything we do, we remind people that we're there. We're all connected to something bigger all the time in everything that we do. And so that's, that's the message. That's the, that's, that's what we do. We're, it's funny earlier, we were talking about, um, uh, Scott, you talked about how because uh, you do this podcast, people will come up to you on the street and just talk to you about things. That they well, not 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 on the street. That would be weird, right? He's got a face. <laughs> He's got a yeah, face yeah, for yeah. podcasting. I got a face for. I got a face for audio. <laughs> yeah, I think it's beautiful, sir. Thank you, sir. But we are all wearing masks now. I guess there is no street <laughs> yeah, yeah, anymore. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, but people will come like reach out and they'll be vulnerable out of nowhere, and uh, that's what we do. I think all of us, the three of us, we're leading with vulnerability. If you show up vulnerably, people will follow. You set that tone, you set that environment in a conversation, in an office, a podcast, in a movie. And so that's what we do. We're using movies to inspire people to be vulnerable and to learn how to bring vulnerability into their lives so that they can strengthen their own worlds as well as the other worlds around them. So you, you briefly touched on the big elephant in the room in 2020 that we're all wearing masks and uh, you know, we've got this lovely pandemic uh, wrapping its uh, grubby hands around the Scott, world. This, this podcast is escapism. We don't, we don't talk L- for an event. Listen, but. Bolin, you mute your sure. microphone over there. So, so uh, I, I have a comment and then a, a question. I kind of see your films as sort of a pandemic-proof way of getting that message out there to people because right now you can't attend in-person therapy. You can't really attend in-person group meetings, whether it's AA or something else. Um, if a partner wants to learn about addiction, you know, these films are something that they can definitely be pointed to, like, you know, watch a few of these and sort of see where we're at as addicts, but how has, um, or has it at all, the pandemic affected, um, your, uh, your year as far as creating new films or planning for the future, um, 
I'm sure it's affected, it's affected everything, but, uh, like how have you navigated that as somebody who wants to make this content to help people? Um, has it been a big impediment or have you found a workaround for it? Um, it has been, it scared the shit out of me. Right. So even more fucked up, I moved to LA from Philly three weeks before COVID. So like, I've been waiting for two and a half years to get to LA and meet my way through it because I just, I deeply believe that this is Hollywood's nonprofit bringing people. It's the only industry where you can be out as an addict and still be at the top of your, uh, at the top of the industry. I mean, uh, that's a big thing in Hollywood too, right? Like, I don't think it's a big secret. So exactly like people and, and it's wonderful. Like Brad Pitt has recently come out as having issues and Dax just fell off the wagon and he's back at it, you know? And, and that's really cool. These, it, it takes a lot of balls to just like be in the limelight and show your frailty and pick yourself up. And, and I think that being in the limelight and being on the global stage gives people an opportunity so I, I have this belief that once you survive a certain struggle, like you have this, you gain this innate desire, this need to pay it forward, to give back, right? Like no matter what that is. And, and so we're building this on this belief that like, once we get in front of the right people, like people want to give back, people are going to want, we're, and we're giving people an opportunity to give back in a way that they love to give back. Let's go make some movies. Let's tell some stories. Let's have a great time and create tools that will help the world and have a majorly scalable impact. So I got here and COVID happened. I'm like, oh shit. Like all we, I I can't go meet people. I can't make more movies and I can't bring people together to watch them. Shit. And honestly, like, you know, I, I know of a lot of people who are filmmakers who are showing their films by sharing their screen through zoom but we're, uh, this is an innovative idea that's very much relying on the fact that our films are high quality. So I don't want to, I don't want to compromise that by showing them in a certain way, right? It's no way. So I'm like, it, I, I ended up scheming for like, for, for four or five months in my head, just like, am I going to do? What are we going to do? Because I have the tool that people need right now and I don't know how to give it to them. Because like, whether you're an addict or not, like everybody's dealing with isolation. I just read that like um, more, just just in the last month, um, more people died in Japan from suicide yeah. than yeah. did than did COVID, right? And that's that's all from isolation and depression and and mental mental health issues, and that is terrifying and very real. So what? I, I have these handcuffs on me. I, I know how to help, but I don't know how to help. And so I what what we do, what we've always wanted to do was um, we love bringing people together and we host these uh, movie workshops is what we call them, where we'll bring people together in an audience and we'll introduce a substance is what we do. I'm Alex, I'm a fuck up. I lower the bar immediately. And we're gonna watch some movies. We'll turn the lights down, we'll turn on our first movie Trapped. And then four minutes later, we turn the lights back up and we have an audience led conversation. That's just like prompted with, what did that make you feel? And because we have just, triggered people's vulnerability, strangers get up and have conversations that they wouldn't normally have, which allows people to start planting some seeds about themselves and about others in their lives, changing their perspectives, changing potential behaviors, and really targeting people's emotional cores so that they can move forward differently and transformed in their lives. But I can't fucking do that because I can't fucking bring anybody fucking together. So, (laughs) so like, but here's, what's really interesting. Like we really wanted to do that. Like, and we wanted to do that as much as possible before COVID, you know, how much money that would have cost? Like, do you know how much time that would have taken to do that and have as many workshops as possible across the continent? That would have been so difficult and cost so much money. But now because of COVID, Our silver lining is technology has advanced and people's expectations of connection have changed. And luckily, Short Order, where I used to work, has uh, branched off a new company that started a, um, 
that that's creating a software called Marquee, which is a web-based software that is a branded platform where people can host anything, right? So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's exactly. It's a web-based video conferencing platform that has a lot of other widgets and a lot of other elements, but it also has, gives me the ability to click a button and stream a film of high quality simultaneously into every viewer's computer. So we've partnered with them and now I have the capacity to run these sessions. So that's what we're doing. We are utilizing, how can I not spend any more money and make as much impact as possible using what I already have. I have films, I have this platform and I have, and now we're just trying to get it in front of people. So in 2021, we're, we're about to do a launch uh, Sunday, December 13th, um, for friends and family. And if anybody's listening, please go to our website of substance.org and subscribe. We'll add you to the invite list. We're going to host this like five hour get together where you can just stop in on our platform for 15 minutes, an hour, every 15 and 45 of the hour, we're going to show a film. You get to see how you get to watch the films with a group, talk about them, see the platform, experience them, um, experience it meet me and, and our COO Mark, um, and get to see things. Um, and we're, we're trying to get that going and, and use that platform. And we're looking for in 2021 to have as many offer free sessions, universities, fraternity, sororities, high schools, addiction communities, other support communities, veterans groups, libraries, community centers, you name it, JCCs, YMCAs, I don't care. We, we're going at everywhere we can to get as many butts in the seats, quote unquote, as we can to show these movies. But dude, that took a really long time to get to. Honestly, that opened up about two months ago. Like this all became possible two months ago. Up until then, I was just losing my goddamn mind. That's incredible you got there eventually though and like i mean nice. kudos to you 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 have a mission you have a vision uh this whole covid situation scott thank you for uh you know sm smashing the uh the illusion and, and admitting that we do live in the real world in 20 you're welcome right now. But, <laughs> um you, you found a way to do it and i think the the most inspiring thing for for me to see personally throughout uh this uh you know kind of shithole of a year has been uh seeing seeing the people who who really care uh step up and just still find ways to connect people uh and, and doing what it takes to get it done so uh kudos to you and, and scott and i will definitely be there really excited to uh to see what you guys Thanks, come in it's funny you say that. I heard this yesterday. Somebody told me this. This Frederick Nietzsche said, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. That Nietzsche, you know? <laughs> you heard of him? He knew, he knew a thing or two. He knew a thing or two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was I was going to say something. We're, we're drawn to a, a close for our time here, but I, I had a question about... Um, you know, you spent a lot of time in, in acting circles in in film, and now you're in LA. My presumption is that, uh, a lot of people there, uh, or in this industry, particularly men, I, I would think, um, aren't, aren't big on authenticity or vulnerability. I think a lot of people have, have, a a, a very, um, uh, a very specific image that they present outwardly. Um, and, uh, you know, they're very carefully curated. Um, is that something you find yourself coming, coming up against lots and, and how do you kind of win people over to the, the, the vulnerable side? Uh, it's like anything in life, right? Like it's how you show up. What do you bring to the table? Like, and, and like we were talking about before Scott with Scott, just like, you know, if, if you bring vulnerability to the table, you set a tone. And it's funny, uh, James Joyce said that in the particular lies the universal. To me, what that means is the more honest, the more real, the more authentic you are about what you believe, what you feel, the more surprised you'll be that the majority of people agree. And you just need to put it on the table, right? And um, uh, I'm listening to uh, Brene Brown's uh, Dare to Lead, 
Um, and it starts out in the intro with the story of when she went to give her first talk to this C-level uh, like audience of like thousands of C-suite people. And she didn't realize that C-level didn't mean like grounded, like at C-level. And she realizes that she's about to talk about shame and vulnerability to like executives. And the guy, and she freaks out. And the guy who is really nice who's with her, this Australian's just like, look, see everybody out there is up to their eyeballs in shame and nobody's talking to them about it because that's who we are. So if you decide to be vulnerable, if you walk in, if you lead with vulnerability and you decide that it's okay, you give everybody else an opportunity to identify and speak. So sure, like, are you going to hit some walls sometimes? Yeah. But the more you just put it out there, the more you just put yourself out there, the more you'll just be happily surprised that people want to do the same. They just haven't given, been given the opportunity. I love that. Goes back to that point we made uh, about our parents earlier, right? Like we're all we're all fucked up. We're all flawed. No one no one's got it figured out, uh, especially not us. So I think that's that's an important message for everyone to to carry around with them. Yeah. Definitely. My, I had to tell my mom, I, I, it drove me nuts. My mom did not know how to say the words, I don't know growing up. And I used to like get so fucking furious at her because it's just like, mom, just admit you don't know. Don't teach me the wrong thing. So that like, you look smart. You're fucking me up. You're fucking me over because I'm going to show up at college and I'm going to say black is white. And they're going to be like, what the fuck is the matter with you? Just say what you don't know and we'll learn it together and we'll move forward. Yeah, that's big. We'll learn it together. That's, you know, yeah. I like that. Guys, thank you so much. I, I talk a lot. I'm sorry. I talk a lot. Yeah, I mean, you make for a great podcast guest that way. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> you do all the heavy lifting and we're just over yeah, here well, floating flo 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 a few questions, you know, it's, it's great. Uh, yeah, you're, you're an awesome dude. Like every time I've had the pleasure of talking to you, it's, it's been personally inspiring for me. Just like, the way you get out there, the way you get shit done, the way that, that you 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 walk the talk, man. You, you're not just out here preaching vulnerability as, as some, you know, vapid Instagram influencer trying to build a following. You are a guy who who fully believes in, and lives by what you do. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stoked to see where you take up substance and and what uh, all, all the success that waits for you guys and uh, and seeing how how you can start uh, promoting those those conversations and. Uh, that vulnerability around the globe. Thanks, dude. I, if if I can say one thing to that, it's that like all of those things you just said that I am, I wasn't like, and that's, that's so important to know because we all just we, living in the society we live in, even before social media, like we grew up before social media and it's just like, we compare ourselves to other people and we think the people who do well are just like that. You know, and what we don't see is all the broken dishes behind closed doors. And and I just want to make sure that anybody listening to this knows that, like, I was not this guy. Like, I, I, I was afraid my entire life. I, I'm, I'm constantly comparing myself to others. I'm just like, anytime I'm in a conversation with somebody, I'm just like, that guy's smarter than me. That guy's better looking than me. That guy is a better speaker, a better conversationalist, a better artist, a better creative, like is, is a better father. It's a better kid. It's a better person. Like it's taken me so much. And, and I think that's a gift of like having to get sober. We're forced to go into this, this like experience of self self-improvement and learn how to improve ourselves. And, and that's, I talk about addiction being my crypt, like the, my kryptonite and yet my superpower, right? It's the best and worst thing that's ever happened to me, but more the best because it, it's given me an opportunity and the tools to become a bit braver to, to decide that I'm willing to fail, to go after things because I got to tell you, I don't know what I'm doing. That's the last thing I should be saying on this podcast. I'm looking to raise a lot of money right now, but guess what? I don't know what I'm doing because guess what? None of us do. And anybody who tells you they do is full of fucking shit. We're all just doing our best. 
and you, anybody listening, you are doing great right now. Okay. Just don't give up. I'll second that. I don't know what I'm doing at all. Yeah. I I will third that Scott specifically does not know what he's doing. Uh, Thank you, Derek. I appreciate (laughs) your support. We're going to ask our, uh, our one wrap up question here. Um, because this is ostensibly a podcast for men and about masculinity, I would like to ask you, how has your idea of what it means to be a man changed over the years? And if you could get in a time machine and go back and tell young Alex what it meant to be a man, what would you say to him? As I sit here in my lavender shirt, um, I, interestingly enough, so I, I love this question and, and I'm disappointed with my answer in in a way I shouldn't be disappointed because I was always a bit like, let's just say artistic um, and in touch with my sensitivity and highly sensitive. And, and I always owned it because it worked for me. It worked with girls. It worked with, you know, teachers and getting out of shit. Like it, it just always worked. I, I was lucky. I always leaned into it. So but but the thing that's a little bit different, the thing that I just haven't haven't gotten to is like I'm what I'm still working with. So if I went back and I talked about masculinity and my my view of masculinity, luckily, um, I I tell myself, don't change a thing. Like just like be you, be proud of who you are, and lean into it. Like luckily, I just naturally did what worked right without knowing that that was going to work. And, but I still live in this place where I I don't have kids yet and I'm starting a nonprofit and we haven't raised any money and I don't have any source of income right now um, until uh, we really get it going. And, and I have this innate feeling of failure as a provider and, um, and, this idea of like, if I'm not providing, then I am not a good supporter. I'm not a good husband. I wouldn't be a good father. So I'm afraid to have kids because I wouldn't be able to provide. And, and because that's still where I am in my journey, that's something that I'm going to have to learn. And that's something I'm going to have to deal with, uh, which was not your question, but uh, that's where that went. Yeah, that, that was a great answer. I, I would want to not to, you know, dismiss, uh, how you feel, but uh, I think the things you have to to provide and offer children go far beyond uh, any material benefits. And and you know, just from the conversations we've had, man, like I think uh, any kid would would be lucky to have you as a father, just in terms of the emotional richness uh, you could provide them. So you can uh, you can take that to the bank. Thanks, man. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Um, in honor of Giving Tuesday, we are going to make a donation to Of Substance. I would encourage anyone listening to this episode to do the same. You can do that at ofsubstance.org. Uh, and Alex, if people on the internet would like to learn more about you, where can they do that? Guys, thank you. That is huge. Um, it, seriously, thank you. Uh, yeah, please, uh, everybody... Uh, type in ofsubstance.org. At ofsubstance.org, you can learn all about us, but you can also watch all of our films for free. It is a free resource to go to if you don't want to call your sponsor or you think one of your films will help your your mother understand you. You can share them with her. Like It's a great resource. We've also partnered with a couple of other organizations on there, one of which is iRelate that offers a um, an online anonymous chat platform for with offering rooms for different struggles. So if you struggle with uh, PTSD or you struggle with uh, addiction or you struggle with anorexia, there's a room for you to go and comfortably anonymously chat with peers. Uh, There's a link through of substance there. But yeah, go to of substance, check us out. We're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook uh, at of underscore substance is our Instagram. And that's where we do most of our stuff. Don't worry about Facebook. You are an Instagram influencer after all. Uh, Alex, can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us, man. Uh, and again, guys. keep keep spreading the vulnerability gospel. Uh, excited to see where it takes you. I also, you I just want to, I just want to mention that Alex easily has the best hair we've ever had on this podcast. You guys can't see it, but it's magnificent. I mean, it's about like, 
I mean, the only hair we've had talking, on this podcast. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a low bar, but like, it's pretty good. Thanks, man. <laughs> I really, really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Scott, any closing thoughts? No, no, we don't. We're very bad at it. We're bad at starting and we're bad at finishing. We're good at the middle part. We're like a sandwich with terrible bread. You know what I mean? (laughs) But you still eat the bread. It's there. It's there to hold the good stuff in the middle together. The bread doesn't matter. (laughs) Coming from Philly. I don't, I don't know if that's a a widely held opinion there. You guys are big. Don't worry. (laughs) This doesn't air in Philly, right? (laughs) That's right. Yeah. We won't tell anybody. This doesn't air on podcasts platforms in philadelphia no, no. Uh, thanks th- thanks for joining us for episode four of sobriety a podcast about sobriety mental health and wellness for men women and the men and women who love them i've been your co-host Derek bolin and uh i've been your co-host scott graham you can find me on the internet at everywhere pretty much at wflbc and uh derek where can people find you on the internet all right i'm uh, on instagram as well at van underscore sober that's basically the only place all right thanks for joining us talk to you next week see you guys Robriety is a podcast about sobriety, mental health, and wellness for men. It is produced by Van Sober and hosted by Scott Graham and Derek Bolton. Please note, nothing in this podcast is a substitute for treatment of any kind. If you or someone you love is struggling with addiction or mental health issues, please reach out to the organization's link in our show notes.